Yeah, I, I know so many of you know Yuri, um, and uh, wow, what a, what a dear brother. I just wanted to share a little bit about his, his going home to be with the Lord, because I know you guys have been praying, and I appreciate that. I'm so grateful that you've been praying for him. Um, about four weeks ago, four and a half weeks ago, they made the decision uh, to stop the chemo and stop the treatments. We were at Stanford, and I went and visited him, and it was really hard, obviously. Um, he knew he was, his, home going, his home going was soon. And um, so he got on hospice, and he had, said, he had said to me then, you know, I just, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. He had, I was telling um, Angela last night that I was so shocked. A year ago, we were talking in passing. It was Thanksgiving or one of the holidays, and we were talking about, he didn't know how much time he had. He said, but you know, I know when God gets more glory in my dying than in my living, then he'll take me home. And it's like, wow. I mean, that kind of perspective, and it, is, it can only come from the Spirit of God in him. And, and I was just incredibly encouraged by that. And then um, I was talking to him the last couple weeks. I'd go visit almost every day, and I was talking to him about, he wants me to do the service, and I, I said, I would love to do the service. Pray for me, because I don't know how Friday I'm going to get through it, but um, he said, uh, I said, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to share at your service? I mean, you have this wonderful opportunity to, to, you know, give these people who are coming to celebrate your life words of encouragement. And he's, the first thing he said two weeks ago was he said, I was reading John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, and there's a story at the beginning about an 85-year-old man who came to Christ at 85. He had heard the gospel his whole life, but he, you might know this, you, some of you have read that book. And he, his first thought was, when he came to Christ, was, I wasted my life. I wasted my life. And here he said, I want you to plead with them not to waste their life. I want you to plead with the young people in the church not to waste their life. And I was a church kid. I know how it is. There's lots of church kids here. This idea of saying, oh, I can put it off. I can deal with God later. I'm going to go live my life and do my thing. You may not get a chance. That's what he wanted me to share. And then last week I was talking to him and he had been communicating on Facebook. And what a, what a mercy. As he's dying and he's in hospice and he's in pain and he's on drugs. And he's, you guys, if you were friends with him on Facebook, you know that guy was all over Facebook and loved to talk to people. And he got to, to say his goodbyes to everybody and he got to speak to them. And, but he was really bothered by... Um, not angry with people, he was really frustrated that so many of his friends who didn't know the Lord were so encouraged by the hope he had. And, and they just, you know, thought it was some strength he had or, or, or thought that the hope that was in him was just because he was really positive thinker. And it was great, you have such positive thoughts. And, and he said to me last Tuesday, last time I spoke with him, he said to me, I want you to explain to them the hope that's in me. It's not me, it's not my strength, it's not my positive thoughts, it's Christ in me. Would you explain that to them? Amen. I said, I'd be happy to do that. Amen. And, um, so he went home to be with the Lord uh, Tuesday at 9.15. And um, he's in glory. Amen. I was getting choked up thinking about, he's around the throne singing. No more pain, no more suffering. My brother's at home. So yeah, I covet your prayers. I know you guys have been praying. You as a church are dear to us. Angelo's come and preached for us a number of times. We had him 
right before the church plant in the summer, right before you guys came down. And uh, we've been praying for you guys. We love you guys. We know we're kindred with, with your church here, Redeemer Bible. And just so grateful to see what the Lord's doing and to see faces that I've known my whole life or half my life. And, and then new faces as well. Like Tim welcomed me yesterday. And we had some loving laying on of hands yesterday. <laughs> he was practicing the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. You know, give chokes, give arm bars. It's more blessed to give those than to receive those. I thought, that's true. Um, so I just, it's been, and, and to be honest, it's been a wonderful weekend. Um, I really wanted to come down. I saw some of my oldest friends, and um, uh, it's just been a wonderful time for me. It's been a great weekend, so I'm glad to be here. Let's turn to 3 John. As I was thinking about your church plants, and uh, just strategically, for the sake of the gospel, what you're going to be doing uh, in these coming months and years as, as you seek to, to bear fruit in your community, I, I, was, um, I was led to this text uh, this uh, past couple weeks as I was praying about what to preach. And, uh, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on 3 John? I never had prior to preaching on it a couple of years ago, so uh, some of this, this may be new for you. If you need help finding it, it's right after 2 John. <laughs> if that helps. See, I appreciate, I got the laughs, and my church just groans when I make that joke now. So, um, but I want to read you the whole book. You can say you read a whole book of the Bible uh, today. 15 verses. Let's, let's read this together. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. They've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come... I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want, want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself, and we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. The short little letter from John to the church, probably at Ephesus. And um, if I were to ask you, what are the qualifications of a pastor? 
Some of you might say, you must, be, you must go to seminary. You must be gifted to preach, or you have to believe certain Bible doctrines. Others of you might say, you have to have proper character. The qualifications in 1 Timothy and Titus. You have to manage your household well. You have to be a one-woman man. All of these qualifications, and those would all be true. That's part of the qualifications of being a pastor. But did you know that hospitality is a requirement for holding church office? In fact, I, I titled the sermon, Hospitality for the Sake of the Name. In 1 Timothy 3, verses uh, 1 and 2, Paul writes, If any man aspires to the office of overseer, which is bishop, but the idea of pastor, overseer, elder, this, this position, it's a fine work he desires to do. It's a good thing to desire this. An overseer then must be above reproach. That's the, that's the overarching qualification, to be above reproach. But then he says, the husband of one wife, temperate, prude, respectable, hospitable. And he adds in this Greek word, philoxenia, love of strangers, literally. This idea of being hospitable, and, and we translate it hospitality. And this includes entertaining complete strangers as well as familiar friends. Hospitality. And I thought, for you as a church plant, as you are desiring to grow, as many of you have moved from Northern California to come down here and you don't know the community, you don't know your neighbors yet, how are you going to be missionaries in your zip code? How are you going to, to be on mission and, and seek to make disciples and, and seek to see the Lord save people in your community? You're going to have to be hospitable. You're going to have to open your doors and open your homes and open your lives. And it's not easy. It's messy. So this morning, we're going to look at a letter that's all about hospitality. Alexander Strzok, a pastor in Denver, Colorado, who wrote a book called The Hospitality Commands, he, he says this in that book, Hospitality fleshes out love in a uniquely personal and sacrificial way. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share our most prized possessions. We share our family. We share our home, our finances, our food, our privacy, our time. Indeed, we share our very lives. So hospitality is always costly. And through the ministry of hospitality, provide is we provide friendship and acceptance and fellowship and refreshment and comfort and love. In other words, we like Christ. We're going to see that in a little bit. So we're going to look at this letter of hospitality. It's addressed to a man named Gaius. We don't know who he was. Gaius is a very, very common name like John. In their culture, there were a lot of Gaiuses. So it's in the providence of God. We don't know who this is, but we know that he's a leader in this local church. We know from the letter that John speaks to this problem in the local church that's causing dissension. And at the root of this is this man Diotrephes, and he wants to have preeminence. And we're going to look at, at Diotrephes and his problems, but his heart is reflected in a lack of hospitality. Not only does he refuse to show hospitality, he actually is preventing others from doing so and even disciplines them out of the church because they're showing hospitality. Talk about getting the gospel upside down for the sake of truth, probably. And so we know Gaius was a leader, respected part of this local church. He probably was one of the pastors or elders, a person with responsibility. The visiting missionaries who came stayed with him. 
And John speaks to him about this problem of dissension and gives him advice. And, and I love in verse 1 how he says the elder, John, talking about himself, to the beloved Gaius. Beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And so, and I love how he, there's this, this kind of um, contrast between, but Gaius, you are known as, be, as beloved. Not just that I love you, Gaius, you're beloved to all the brothers and sisters. You have a reputation where people love you. Oh, and by the way, I also love you in the truth. And he writes this letter, you see the affection, you see this, this man who is well-loved. Brothers and sisters in the local congregation love him. And he, he has this reputation that is... That of love that flows out into hospitality. And so the first thing in your notes there, if, if you have the notes or you're, you're taking notes, is the foundations for hospitality. And I think we see that in the first four verses. The foundations for hospitality. And the first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is Christian love and spiritual health. Christian love and spiritual health. He says, Gaius, I love you in the truth. In other words, Gaius, we love the same God. I love you in the truth. The reason we have unity is because we worship in spirit and in truth. We worship the same God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God who exists as three persons who fully partake of this divine nature such that we don't worship three gods, we worship one God who exists in Trinity, and Trinity in unity. And it's a mystery that will blow your mind, right, the more you study it. I'm writing my PhD on God the Father. And sometimes I just cry because it's, I, I can't understand it. It's, these things are the deep things of God, who He is and, and what He's done. But the wonderful thing for us in Christ is that we have been given the truth in the gospel. Remember what Jesus said uh, to Philip? Philip said, could you just show us the Father? That would be enough. If we could just see God. In fact, that language comes out later in here that those who um, do evil have not seen God. He says, can we just see the Father? That would be enough. And Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so, so even though we can't know God exhaustively, we can know God truly. Because he, the Father reveals himself in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we can take great comfort in that. Uh, John says, we worship and love the same God. I love you in the truth. We love the same Christ and Savior. We serve the same mission. We love the same scriptures. We love the same truth. Amen. We are a people who have a common confession. See, this is what unites us in our fellowship. This is what unites us in our community. And this is what drives us to hospitality is we have a common confession that Christ is Lord. And if He's Lord and we bow our knee to Him, we have an obligation to love God and love others. And it, it fuels everything that we do as Christians. It fuels our life. We love. Christian love. The deep bond we share is we have the bond of truth which is bound up in the gospel, bound up in Jesus Christ, and it's rooted in love. Not our love primarily, right? We love because he first loved us. He gave his son. It's rooted and bound up in the love of God the Father. And it's love for the son and the son's love for the father. And what we receive is an overflow of the love of the Father and the love of the Son and the love of the Spirit from eternity living in community. 
Isn't this incredible that our idea of community is rooted in Trinity? The eternal Godhead has been existing in community from before the foundation of the world. And so our model of community, I think it's wonderful in the providence of God that you're studying community in your home group. Our model of community ultimately is rooted in God. And isn't this what our world desires? Think about social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. They desire community. And, but it's such a, it can be such a false community because it's a hypocritical community because so often we post up what we want to be true about us or only part of what's true about us. But the wonderful thing about the church is that we can be a community that's broken. We can be a community that's hurting. We can be a community that's weak and sinful and helpless. But we have Christ, and he fills up all of our lack. And he's the head of our community. And so what we desire to do in our, in our cities, in our local communities, is we want to be exhibit A of what God is doing in Christ to sum up all things in him and reconcile all things to himself. So what we desire, what you should desire as a local church, is to have a community that is that is rooted in Christ and built up in Christ so that when people come in and they see what you have, they say, what is it that you have that I don't have? I want that. I've been looking for that. I've been looking for that in my hobbies. I've been looking for that on Facebook. I've been looking for that on the internet. I've been looking for that in my family and I don't have it. What do you have? And you can say, we have Christ. Amen. So Christian love. Secondly, he says spiritual health. Verse 2, beloved, I pray that that all may go well with you, and you may be in good health. And then he describes what that good health is. He says, as it goes well with your soul. This is soul health. This is spiritual health. Of course it's good to be healthy physically. We want to be healthy physically. I've just seen the effects in my brother-in-law of what happens when you're not in good health. And we are soul and body, material and immaterial, and we don't ever want to fall into the trap of thinking that only the spiritual is good and all the physical is evil. That's actually an ancient heresy. But here he says, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. As it goes well with your soul. And this is far contrary to the health and wealth gospel, isn't it? That says God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and successful, and if you just believe in the power of I am, you could do it. I am great. I am successful. I am healthy. I am, I am rich. I am whatever. That's not what the gospel says. Jesus said if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer physically, materially, in this world. You're going to be hated. But our wealth is not measured in earthly treasures Christ. We have an inheritance waiting for us, undefiled, unperishing, reserved in the heavens. Thieves can't break it and steal it. Moss can't destroy it. Rust won't wear it away. And so we can have great health in the midst of great persecution and sufferings and sorrow. I saw it in Yuri. Turn over to 1 Peter 4, verses 8 to 10. We're going to be jumping around a little bit because as you can imagine, um, there's other passages that speak about hospitality. 
But looking at this foundation of hospitality, I want you to see this connection between love and spiritual health and hospitality. So 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Actually, let's start verse 7. It's the beginning of the paragraph. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So here he ties love and hospitality and spiritual gifts and service together. He ties a nice common thread throughout this. And in verse 8, here when he says, um, your translation might say, um, be fervent in love for one another. Uh, the ESV here that I'm using this morning says, keep on loving one another earnestly. This idea of fervent in the Greek, it, can, it, it is an idea of persistent effort and resolve. I'm going to resolve in my mind to not stop doing this. I'm going to keep loving one another. And isn't that true? It's hard to love one another sometimes. It's hard to love them because we're sinners and they're sinners. And we have to just make a mental decision that we're going to be resolved. We're going to earnestly persist in doing this. And then he says in verse 9, show hospitality without complaining. I think that it's connected. The reason he brings up hospitality is because our temptation, hospitality is great. When you're feeling good about somebody, I'd love to have you over I'll tell you when it's hard. We've, we've opened our home to the neighborhood kids. So any given day in our house, there are six to ten neighborhood children in our house of varying ages. And sometimes I come home and all I want to do is sit in my chair and relax. And I got wildness going on. One time I came in, I see none of my family. My, my, my dear neighbor kid is eating cereal at my table. And there's nobody else in the house. Hello, Michael. How are you? Where's my family? Right? And then, and then when I really want to complain is when they start breaking things. And they just, they hit the refrigerator like locusts. Just, whoa. You know, the, the one I, I had maybe, you know, I, I had that thing I wanted to eat. Okay, tucked back in the fridge behind the pickles and stuff kids don't eat. You know, I, I tucked it back there. Somebody found it because he was that tall and he saw it through the glass. <laughs> Show hospitality without grumbling. Amen. Wow. It's hard. It's messy. That's the funny stuff. But then what about when they bring sin into your house? Then you, then you say, is it worth it? Is it worth it to show hospitality? They're bringing sin in. I can't stand it. I don't want my kids exposed to it. I don't want to be exposed to it. I don't want to have to counsel these people. I don't want to have to get in the mess of their life. Can't I just sit at home, my, my rest, my castle, and just relax? No. No. Show hospitality without grumbling. And then he said, then verse 10, he ties it to spiritual gifts. He says, 
It's a vehicle through which a number of spiritual gifts are practically displayed. When he says good stewards of the manifold grace of God, it was a word used in the Greek of table waiters that would go around and they would dispense the water, just like you think of waiters today at the restaurant. He says, this is what we are. We've been given the Holy Spirit to indwell us. We've been given spiritual gifts, and we are as good stewards to just pour out the manifold grace of God into the lives of others. And then he explains... And I love Peter. He's so simple. Paul gives you a long list of spiritual gifts. And then, of course, you want to take some spiritual gift test to figure out what yours is. Peter, he's a fisherman. He's down to earth. He says there's two types. There's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. So if you have a speaking gift, verse 11, he says speak as if it's the oracles of God. If you have a serving gift, serve as the, as by the strength that God supplies so that in everything God the Father would be glorified through Jesus Christ. So here, I, just, I wanted you to see it's all tied together. Hospitality, love, spiritual health, spiritual gifts, the indwelling ministry of the Spirit. This is, this is not something that is what you do to be a nice person. This is a reflection of who you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit indwelling you, manifesting the love of God the Father in you. It's Trinitarian. Well, second foundation, Christian joy in walking in the truth. Back to, to uh, Third John. Verses 3 and 4. Christian joy in walking in the truth. He, Gaius is walking in the truth, and, and John reflects on this. I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. And then he just stops and he takes the time to write. It's almost like you could say, in fact. You could have added, in fact. He didn't, but in fact, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Not only is Gaius walking in the truth, the, the brothers came and told John about it, but he's actually rejoicing that Gaius is influencing all of the brethren, brothers and sisters at that church, to walk in the truth. Gaius loves the Christ that's preached by John, and he loves the Christ of the Bible and the Christ of the, the Gospels. And in verse 6, John is delighting that Gaius is not only committed to sound doctrine, but he's living out that doctrine in real, tangible Christian love. In other words, it's as if John is saying, in Gaius, I see both truth and love. I see right doctrine, right belief and commitment to Christian love. And in Gaius, I see doctrine and love, truth and practice joined together. And this is healthy. And this is the foundation for hospitality. And, and as I mentioned, truth without love, that's going to keep you from hospitality for a number of reasons. Truth without love, you say, our home's too small. I can't show hospitality. Our kids will be influenced by outsiders. And I don't want that mess in my life. <laughs> or we're too busy. Our schedule is so crowded. I don't have time to show hospitality. Well, as we're going to see, you eat every day. So every time you eat, it's an opportunity for hospitality. <laughs> big or small. Cup of coffee, big giant, massive lunch. Either way, you have an opportunity for hospitality. We're going to see. Now, love without truth, on the other hand, will be a shallow hospitality that isn't intentionally gospel-centered. It will never get to the gospel. You'll be a really nice person that opens your home but never talks about Jesus if you have love without truth. And so here in Gaius, you see both of these things joined together. Uh, second in your notes, in verses 5 to 8, there's an encouragement to gospel hospitality. An encouragement to gospel hospitality. Gaius, we're told in verses 5 and 6, has shown hospitality. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. 
you would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. He says, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for your brethren, especially when they're strangers. Especially when they're strangers. Now, we lose a little bit of that this today because um, we have hotels, we have, we have social media, we have phones that we can call ahead and say, hey, you got a place for me to stay? I called up Aaron. Him and I have been friends since we were three years old. And I, you know, he was at my wedding. And I said, you got a, can I stay with you? Yeah, no problem. Got a spare room. But in their day and age, they would travel. They didn't know how long it would take them because 10 miles might take you one day or it might take you 10 days, depending on the weather, depending on the circumstances. And they'd show up. And they'd look around and they'd be like, I don't have anywhere to stay. There's no, you know, Motel 6 or Holiday Inn. And so people had to open their homes. And so hospitality in this culture was massive. And when you shared your food and your drink in your house and your lodging with them, in that culture, you were actually taking on protection of them. You were taking on a desire to, they were not to be, uh, you were, you had to show, you had to get, you were saying, I'm going to give them everything as if they were part of my family. And protection and food and drink and shelter as long as they need it until they leave. It's a big commitment. Right? That's, uh, we don't even understand that. Maybe we do. Adoption is a good example of this. Adoption is super hospitality. That's what adoption is. So he says, verses 5 and 6, you do this. This is a fact. You do this, Gaius. And in verses 7 and 8, he says, you ought to, here's three reasons that you ought to support these kind of missionaries that go out for the sake of the name, that are desperate for this hospitality. He says, first, they went out for the sake of the name. And the name there, I take that to be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, could be the name of Yahweh. They went out for the name of, of God. But I think in the, in the context, what he's saying is, they went out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his name would be known to the nations. Second, he goes on to say, they have no other means of support. They receive nothing from the Gentiles. Third, we should support these kind of men because when we do, we become fellow workers of the truth. See, this is, this is, and you, you all know this. I, I was so encouraged to hear that you as a church plant are already supporting missionaries. Dear friends of ours. It's so encouraging because this is a mark of, of, of love and a mark of the gospel is that we understand that we may not all get to go. Now, you all have gone to Oceanside, uh, who've moved from... Vallejo. Why you would ever leave Vallejo? I don't know. <laughs> I love Vallejo. I do. I love to be from Vallejo. But you moved out, and so you know what this means. And, and I know that, that you're dependent upon the support of others as a church. But that you've already decided we're going we're gonna to give to even others across the world so that we can be partakers, he says, Verse 8, fellow workers for the truth. And of course, you're going to have them in. You're going to have people into your church, and you're going to show hospitality, and in doing so, you're going to be participating in their ministry and their work. It's going to be exponential. It's wonderful. Luther, Martin Luther and his wife Katie were legendary for their open home and their hospitality. In fact, one historian writes, their great house was always full to the brim. 
And I think the greatest example of hospitality in my life has been my mom and dad. So many of you know them. You, you have been recipients of that hospitality. Some of you have been adopted by my parents. I have lots of siblings that I don't even know. But any given ho holiday, it was normal for us to have complete strangers. Because my parents had this view of hospitality that anybody is always welcome. It doesn't matter. You see, and, and sometimes we get this idea that, man, holidays are the most sacred. I get to do with my family. I get to cherish that time. And it's almost like we, we get a little bit schizophrenic because we think, why would we want any outsiders to be there? But I've seen the fruitfulness of my parents. I mean, complete strangers, people that my brother met the day before that's working for him, and he decided, hey, you don't have anywhere to go, you're from Tennessee, why don't you come over to my parents' house? You know, they'll bring a big 12-pack of beer, and, and uh, they think, yeah, it's great. They don't know, you know, they don't have any context. And my parents love them and put them first in the line to get the turkey, and it's incredible to watch. And, and, and I, I praise the Lord for, for that example. Examples in the New Testament. We see this, Luke says, Peter stayed... In Acts 9, many days in Joppa with a certain tanner, Simon. Simon's home became the temporary base of operations for spreading the gospel. Lydia, in Acts 16, opened her home to Paul, and the gospel went forth. Philemon, in Colossae, in Philemon 22, Paul writes, Prepare me a lodging, a guest room, for I hope that through your hair, uh, prayers I shall be given to you. Uh, that is, I'll be released from my Roman imprisonment. Paul knew Philemon to be a gracious host. He knew there was a place for him. Would Paul be free to be invited to your home? To invite himself to your home? To say, hey, prepare me a room. I'll be there soon. <laughs> well, that's a bit presumptuous. <laughs> that's not very Christian, to just invite themselves. To <laughs> right? It's so discouraging, isn't it? When you're wanting to show hospitality or you're wanting to get to know people and it's like they break out the calendar. Well, I have a space three, three weeks from now. Yeah, we could get together then, maybe for an hour. You know, I got something else going on later that day. Why not right now? Come on over. Well, anyway, that's an encouragement to hospitality. And finally, he says the marks of hospitality, verses 9 to 15. Verses 9 and 10, hospitality is submitting to the authority of Christ. Really, it's, it's obedience to Christ. Submitting to him as Lord. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. Talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes told this congregation that they're not to receive evangelists and missionaries show hospitality. Why? First, he loves preeminence. He wants to be the center of attraction. Second, he doesn't accept John's authority, apostolic authority, and, and the reason I say the authority of Christ is John's authority is rooted in Christ's authority. So when he says in verse 9, he doesn't acknowledge our authority, John's not saying, I have some right because I was an apostle. He says, my authority, the reason I have authority is because Christ is the one who commissioned me to write scripture and plant the early church and lay the foundation, the apostles and prophets. And so by rejecting John, Diotrephes rejects Christ. Fourth, he refuses to receive faithful missionaries. Fifth, he forbids others in the church. And sixth, and worse, he apparently excommunicated some people from his congregation because they received faithful missionaries. That's the craziest thing in the world to me. But I see how it could happen. 
what could happen is he wants to be preeminent. He wants to be. He wants to have the corner on Christian truth. He wants everybody to understand the gospel through his lens. And, and other missionaries, other pastors, other teachers are a threat to his authority. And so he doesn't want them around. And if people show that, man, they're being divisive. And so he, isn't it terrible? It's so opposite of the gospel. The true greatness in the kingdom is being a servant of all, Jesus said. That's how the world does it. They want their reputation. And Jesus... Well, you remember what he told his disciples in Luke 10. If you refuse hospitality to God's messenger, it's the same as refusing God's message. Shake the dust off your boots, off your garments. And Jesus said, woe to you, Chorazin, if that say that. It's going to be far worse for you on the day of judgment than even Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, there's a wonderful book about hospitality called A Meal with Jesus. A guy named Tim Chester wrote it. I highly recommend it. Very short, you could read it, it's about 110 pages. And um, he mentions this statement, and I think this is really helpful to us. How do we do this, right? You might be saying, you might be thinking, I agree with you, Ryan, we need to do this, but I don't, I don't even know how. And in this book, his whole argument in this book is that Jesus made the statement, the Son of Man came. And it's three statements. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's kind of odd to think of that third one. because But the first two explain why he came. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a substitute on the cross. Amen. To pay for our sins, to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. Why he came? He came to seek and save the lost. He came because God the Father so loved the world, He gave His Son so that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Amen. And that's what He did. He came to seek and save the lost. That's us, right? I was lost apart from Christ. And in His mercy and His grace, He sought me out. And He opened my eyes by the Spirit to see the, the beauty of what the cross is. It's no longer foolishness to me. The cross is no longer some some myth or some wishful thinking or some sort of crutch to help me get by in life. The cross is glorious and beautiful because the Spirit opened my eyes to see at the cross my sins were paid for. At the cross, now I can be reconciled to a holy and righteous God, even though I'm not. At the cross, I have a Savior who is perfect. And not only were my sins paid for, but now because of being united to Him by faith, I now have His righteousness. So that when God the Father looks at me, He declares me justified. He says I'm a saint. He says I'm holy. He adopts me into His family and says I'm a child. And now I have refrigerator rights, as it were, in the household of God. The Father has shown hospitality at the cross. He came to seek and save the lost. But He came eating and drinking, and I think this is helpful because this shows His method. This is really practical. Amen. Luke 5, he eats and drinks with tax collectors at the home of Levi, the tax collector. Levi gets saved. Jesus calls him. First thing he does is he has a meal in his house, and Jesus comes. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed by the woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha as He's ministering and serving. Luke 11, he condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law while he's at a meal. He's teaching. 
Luke 14, he's at a meal when he urges all of the people there to invite the poor to the meals rather than just their friends. Luke 19, he goes over to Zacchaeus' house and has a meal. Luke 22, the Last Supper. I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you, he says to his disciples. Luke 24, after he's risen, what does he do? He, he goes with the two on the road to Emmaus and he eats a meal with them. He appears to his disciples in Jerusalem in Luke 24 and he eats fish with them. He breaks bread with them. He has a meal with them. This is really practical because we all eat. <laughs> so you want to know how you can show hospitality? Invite people to eat with you. Invite them to have a cup of coffee with you. You pour, you know, go drink water at the local water fountain, I guess. I don't know what you're that for. It's okay. It's hospitality. I got a place. I got a watering hole. Come on, let's go. Hospitality is submitting to the authority of Christ. Hospitality also, verses 11 and 12, reflects the heart of God. Diotrephes may be a professing Christian, a baptized Christian, an elder in this church, thinks he's a spiritual leader in the local congregation, but John is saying, his conduct tells me he doesn't know grace and he doesn't know Christ. Wow. Do not imitate what's evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not even seen God. And not showing hospitality here is the evil. Isn't that convicting? I mean, you might think, yeah, looking at porn, that's evil. You know, getting high on drugs, that's evil. Abusing my children or my spouse, that's evil. Here he says the evil is the lack of hospitality. It's evil. And it shows you, you haven't even seen God, you haven't seen the Lord Jesus Christ, because this marked his ministry in his life. This is the heart of God the Father to open up his home to us forever. Wow. In contrast, he mentions Demetrius, verse 12. He received a good testimony from everyone and of the truth itself. He has a good character. He has a good testimony. He has a coordination between the faith he possess, possess, uh, professes and the life he actually possesses in Christ. He's in public what he is in private. Wow. And we add our testimony. Even John knew his, his character. Wow. So, Romans 12, 13 says we are to strive to show hospitality. And that word strive, dioko, it's this idea of pursuing. It was used, in fact, of Paul when he pursued the church and tried to destroy it, persecute it. But in this sense, it's not a bad sense, it's a good sense that we are to strive and pursue hospitality. It takes vigorous effort. It takes persistence. Paul's saying, practice hospitality and do it with enthusiasm. And what I love about Romans 12, 13 is it's rooted in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says, do not be conform to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's verse 2. Verse 1 says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice to God the Father, which is your acceptable service. Well, how does that flesh itself out? Hospitality. And adoption, as I said, is super hospitality. Finally, hospitality is the fruit of Christian community, verses 13 to 15. <laughs> I had much to write you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We'll talk face to face. John says, I want to experience some of this hospitality. I'm going to come face to face. We're going to be together. We're going to break bread. We're going to have a meal. And then he says, peace be with you. 
this Old Testament benediction, shalom. Probably the only Hebrew word we all know, right? Shalom. Peace. Everything is the way it ought to be. That's the idea of shalom. Things are the way they ought to be. And he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he knows that this is a glorious New Testament reality because Jesus Christ purchased peace at the cross. And they have this common confession of Christ as Lord. And so he can say, peace be to you. Uh, there was a historian who lived in the 1800s by the name of Edwin Hatch. He was a British guy. And he wrote this about Christianity. Christianity was and grew because it was a great fraternity. The word brother came to be the ordinary designation by which a Christian addressed his fellow Christian. It vividly expressed a real fact that Christ, a Christian rather, found wherever he went in the community of his fellow Christians a welcome and he found hospitality. The practice of hospitality was enjoined as the common virtue of all Christians. It's true here, right? How is it that I can, I can meet, I can go over to Uganda or Honduras or the Philippines and I've never met some of those Christians and yet I'm received warmly into their home and shown great hospitality because we are a family in Christ. And think about redemptive history. It begins with a meal. God tells Adam, any tree of the garden you can eat, of course, except for one. But you can eat of any tree of the garden. All of this wonderful food. You have God appearing to Abraham and receiving hospitality from Abraham and Sarah and promising one of his descendants. Abraham's descendants is going to be the Messiah and restore what was lost in the garden. As God delivered his people from Egypt, he provided manna in the wilderness, a meal. Jesus, when he came, we saw, he fed the 5,000. He ministered to the people with a meal. He instituted the Lord's Supper. We as a church, every time we take it, we share a meal together to remember Christ. And there's going to be in the future the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to be disembodied spirits playing harps, floating around in the clouds. <laughs> we were made for this earth. And this earth is going to be made new. And guess what? We're going to eat and drink in the kingdom of God. Tim Chester in that uh, book, A Meal with Jesus, as I mentioned, this is, this is wonderful. In this desolate place, as a group of needy people gather together and share food with Jesus, at the center and with Jesus as the provider, we see God's coming world glimpsed right here, right now. When your church family gathers together as a group of needy people and shares food, with Jesus at the center, and with Jesus as the provider, you glimpse God's coming world. Uh, I, I repeated myself. Copy paste there. The Christian community is the beginning and sign of God's coming world, and no more so than when we eat together. Our meals are a foretaste of the future messianic banquet, and our meals reveal the identity of Jesus. Our meals then are a proclamation and a demonstration of God's good news of the gospel. Wow. That's really easy to do. I may not be able to throw a big party and have all the attractions and events and make it a big, massive deal. But man, I can invite people over for mac and cheese or spaghetti or whatever. I can do that. I can open my home to my neighbors, let the kids destroy everything, and praise the Lord. And not grumble, because I was commanded not to. So, ultimately, as we heard in the scripture reading today, hospitality to others is hospitality to Jesus. When did we ever feed you? 
When did we ever give you a cup of cold water? When did we ever clothe you? As you did it to the least of these. You did it to me, Jesus said. So, we can make our community and mission sound like specialized activities that belong to experts. Some people have a vested interest in doing it because it makes them feel extraordinary. They're like the ostriches. They want to have preeminence. Or we can focus on dynamic personalities who can hold an audience. Some people push mission beyond the scope of ordinary Christians, but the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's not complicated. Amen. True, it's not always easy. It involves people invading your space, going to places you don't feel comfortable, but it's not complicated. Yeah. If you share a meal three or four times a week, and you have a passion for Jesus, you'll be building up Christian community and reaching out to mission. Yeah. Father, thank you for this time. I hope this was an encouragement to my brothers and sisters to just open up their homes and their lives and their doors for the sake of Christ. Be glorified now uh, as we sing and as we worship you. In Jesus' name.